Welcome back to Flavored Enemy Behind the Screens. Uh, I'm the DM over at Flavored Enemy, and today we're going to be talking about suspense and horror and how to implement those two things into your campaigns. Uh, today with me, I've got the GM, Cam. Uh, Cam, could you guys tell a little bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, yeah, my name's Cam. I'm one of the GMs over at Full Round Action Gaming. Uh, we mostly run Pathfinder 1st Edition, but uh, I have played in 5e a bit too uh but uh our thursday stream is basically running through all the adventure paths in chronological order we just finished up uh rise of the rune lords and we're currently in curse of the crimson throne we just had our first session and then wednesday is uh my homebrew campaign called the last topers which is kind of like a suicide squad-esque uh theme of a bunch of uh you know bad people getting uh, gassed by a powerful wizard and being sent to go out and help people like a panopticon that, that honestly sounds like it'd be a lot of a lot of fun to play in yeah <laughs> yeah so um today's thing we're talking about like suspense and horror and as as a, as, as a dm that uh in my experience this is one of the more difficult things to implement in a real sense to actually instill that that sense of suspense and horror and dread in a campaign and you know sometimes it comes off as like like a joke or or laugh or corny yeah exactly uh so like for example how do do you get past that corniness factor personally uh a lot of it is going to for me comes from like talking to my players and being like hey i know we joke but this is a serious moment. I want you to like really imagine this in your brains. Like don't, you know, flip off with humor. Like don't turn that part of your brain off to like cope with it. Like really like be in this moment with me because otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I could see that, that, you know, definitely planning ahead of time and like, like, Im- like implementing the fact like, Hey, this is, this is what we're heading into kind of thing can definitely help. I know like for, for instances from, for me, one of the things that that I did is, for sense of like suspense and dread, is I am a big fan of the fact that when you're using your your wordage and your verbiage to describe settings or scenarios, the term less is more really applies. Um, yeah. So when you're describing things, keep it very vague, keep it very, very minimalistic, you know, and then also when you're going into descriptions on things that are ominous naturally throw a little bit more description in there so like doors windows yeah. chests are on are automatically ominous because you don't necessarily know what's on the other side or inside of it absolutely yeah so when you start describing those things throw in a little bit more description in there so now all their attention's focused there yeah and like uh just also the pace and cadence of the way you talk can help a lot because if you talk very slowly it forces them to pay more attention to you but then like if you can start speeding up you can create a sort of anxiety that keeps them like going in more intrigued and like pulls them in a little more too yeah yeah i definitely agree um a lot of a lot of theme and as far as um emotion that you're trying to convey in a particular scene comes down to how you say it as well you know you can you can deliver the line of the doorway seems empty versus the doorway seems empty. Absolutely. Like your tone and cadence like will mess with players' heads more than 
almost anything else you can do. I agree. I agree. Um, so, in terms of like when you're handling um, DMing or GMing uh, horror centric monsters, for example, like vampires, zombies, ghosts, those kinds of things, uh, how do you handle their approach to what is essentially combat? Or how do you handle them as an entity within an encounter? Uh, it, it depends on the creature involved. Like a vampire is going to be more behind the scenes. Uh, they'll know the name and they'll see calling cards of the creature. But they shouldn't come into direct conflict with them too many times because vampires are like known for enthralling people, right? They're known for getting other people to do that work. And that should be like you should really ratchet up the tension of like, is this person working for a vampire? Are we accidentally giving away like information that's going to get back to them? Whereas zombies is letting them walk into a room and then completely surrounding them. And then just like, yeah. you know, like even if they're like, you want to go the one hit route, like, okay, another one comes up, another one comes up. And it's just a relentless amount of just pressing in, even if they're not necessarily hitting them or doing a whole lot of damage. It's just like keeping them bunched up into one little area. And then ghosts, yeah. uh, just out of nowhere, basically. Like, I, I personally think ghosts are the most terrifying when they're just a jump scare, basically. Like, you walk into a room, bam, it's a haunt. Here's a ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, now, like, like for me, like, whenever I, whenever I use ghosts in particular, the ghost side of things, um, I, I love the kind of, like, the disconnect that they have with the world in itself so um one of the things that i like to do is you know you walk into like a room where a ghost was that room is not going to be situated in the same way that it was when the ghost was alive so you know sitting in midair uh, or yeah, or like stuff. or like um walking through a table that is there now yeah um, moved after they died Exactly. Um, so I like I like using situations like that where it's like it falls into this pattern of routine. Now, if I'm gonna have a ghost be prevalent for for a while, right, to kind of like give a little bit of backstory and the story centric side of like the, the adventure or whatnot, I love having these ghosts kind of just repeating this pattern, right? Continuous pattern. Get them used. To, get the party used to the pattern. And then when it breaks the pattern, all of a sudden they're on edge. Yeah. And then Absolutely. you can, and you can kind of implement that into either a jump scare or into just tonally shifting it to where it's a little bit more on edge. Yeah. Um, so now, like in terms of transitioning into the horror and suspense. Because obviously, when you're talking about a horror or suspense uh, session, um, it's not going to immediately jump right into suspenseful. Yeah. How do you make how do you make that progression into a suspenseful moment? Uh, that is honestly the hardest thing for me, uh, just because like like you said, that transition is hard. I usually just try to go with like. Uh, things aren't where you remember they were uh you go back into the room something's not there again or something new is there and just you know slowly fucking with the players as like i'm sorry am i allowed to swear no that's fine go ahead okay and then just like 
uh, messing with them, just like pushing them to uh, like keep going in and like just you know like okay, are you sure you want to open that door? Just like little things like that that I don't normally do because most of the time you know it's they walk up to the door, and make a perception. Like, but when you start asking them like, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sh like changing the way that you ask the question can also like create that because uh, like horror is mostly just anxiety and suspense like just you know putting them on edge that way through like asking more questions than you normally do or asking fewer questions than you normally do if you only ask a lot like, that's the yeah. best that I can come up with yeah no I, I I'm honestly right there with you um, the only thing that I've noticed that I, I do differently in, the, in terms of in terms of that goes and you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of of uh, just kind of like making that gradual ting in the back, kind of like you were saying. I'm a big yeah. fan of that. Um, but like another thing that I, that I like to do is um, just sneak in the elements of suspense and horror as a progression. For example, um, the parties you know sitting at the at, at a table eating before the before the adventure and uh, they bring out the, the food and you know the um, the fighter oh goes to scoop scoop up a piece of rice looks at it and for a second they look like maggots and then uh, it's back to rice yeah and, and then it's just tiny little tendrils of of things that happen just to get them into that mindset uh like they're like the candles blow out but there's not a draft exactly yeah very very little very very little things that just kind of like start to send that like a drip that turns into a water yeah like they build on top of each other exactly exactly yeah. um so as far as um handling light versus dark when it comes to suspense and horror how do you handle the clerics and paladins in the suspenseful and horror horror situations? In terms of like they usually are like I'm talking about the lawful good and oh yeah you know like, like good aligned absolutely like light paladins, bearing clerics yeah like yeah. paladins in first edition are just straight up immune to fear like exactly. straight up <laughs> so it's like well this is good so like uh, in situations like that I like to like describe like their holy symbol going cold. And just like making them feel like their god has abandoned them in this place, and uh, just like really ratcheting that up, like you don't feel the sun on your face anymore, like you are in this, and like on a certain level, like the game that I play, like paladins, like should not be fearless, like that's part of their role play is like they should be. So, but then uh, you know you kind of rely on them to like because they are so fearless, it makes they like kind of are supposed to you know like take more risks. And that makes yeah. the rest of the party anxious on behalf of that because, like, nobody wants to be the coward standing next to a brave man in a foxhole type of thing, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Like, when yeah. you have a paladin that's like, no, we're kicking in the next door, and the rest of the party's like, no, 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 no. Like, that honestly can help build that, you know, sense I of agree. dread because, yeah, so just like fueling that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the party playing off of each other as well. You know, for me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, one of the things that I do for, for Chrysanthia and Vittore, my, my world, um, is kind of a long story short, um, the healer, who is a 
goddess of health and hearth uh, heals adventurers in their dreams, which is why adventurers heal with a full night's sleep. Right? Okay. But there are areas that are so touched by dark magic, a.k.a. vampire lairs, um, places like that, that she cannot reach. So in places like those, you don't gain no benefits from long rests or short rests. Oh, of you don't healing get property. Spell or spell. Oh, no spell slots, spells. no healing. Oh, that, yeah, that would work. And, very it, well. and it really lays on that sense of dread because... Yeah. There, there, there's, there's no respite in the middle there. Yeah. You're gonna have to keep from point A to point B. You're gonna have to manage your resources if you have the healing potions and such. Absolutely. And I've noticed that 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 small change took my suspense up to, to like eleven. Oh yeah. The second you don't let your <laughs> players get their goodies back, they're like, oh no, <laughs> they they lose it. That's when like, oh, yep. mechanics match the role play. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Um, so, what's what's one instance where you could think of within a campaign that you either been a part of or GM or DM'd that you recall that being particularly suspenseful or horror centric, and why do you think that was? Um. So in the last Hopers campaign, like the the summoner. Uh, is a class that you know summons creatures she has an eidolon that basically molds onto her and so when i heard that i just started doing like a little bit of you know body horror of like you know i don't know if like you do any sort of content warnings for this kind of stuff but like you know heads up like fingernails falling out and her teeth falling out and new ones coming into the place as this creature like this ectoplasm being just burst forth from her skin tearing out and just like as that like kept going, becoming a theme throughout the campaign, at a certain point, uh, she went from neutral evil to neutral, and the Eidolon wasn't about that. Slithered off her body, leaving her bleeding and in terrible danger, and slithered over to uh, a skeleton that the other player was controlling, and just became a part of that and then teleported out. Players were like, what the hell? Like, just completely lost their stuff, but yeah. That's that's a that's a really good one. <laughs> I, oh, that would. Oof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably my proudest suspense and horror moment. I don't normally uh, go into them too much because it's definitely not my strong suit. I can do body horror really well, but like, uh, my players like to joke a lot, so it's hard to really yeah. get them into suspense. Yeah, I mean, what what player doesn't like to joke a lot? Yeah. <laughs> I have. I, I can't I can't say my biggest one because I, I honestly don't I, no I honestly don't oh, okay. feel like I honestly don't feel like if I put my biggest horror one on here that many people will be very happy with me. Oh. <laughs> um, God. But my second best one, um, I had this this small party party of four traveling through a swampy area, right? Yeah. Um, and they approached this. Um, small little like hut on stilts in the swamp um, looking for respite because they were just in this absolute trudging moving like maybe 10 feet every minute just oh, trudging God. through this muck yeah. waist deep and everything and no one was having to ride on the shoulders of the, of, of the human it yeah. was bad um, but 
they got to this place and obviously singular house in the middle of the swamps that are already sketched out yeah there's nothing else there. it's just this small small house and there is a small lantern out front with a on a um small little table with two rocking chairs beside and an old woman and an old man sitting on these rocking chairs and when they get inside the old woman and old man are not surprised whatsoever well, do you need some? Do you need some food? Some place to rest, maybe? And you know they accept. Still sketched out, and uh, get them some food, right? And yeah. they're resting. And the old man, as they're getting ready to go to sleep, the old woman goes upstairs, and the old man looks at the party and says, "Whatever you do, don't open the front door, no matter what you hear." And he goes and sits out front on the patio while they go to sleep. Well, one of the party members, obviously, curious yeah. as hell, <laughs> opens the front door in the middle of the night because he hears the sounds of whispering at the door. Don't ask me why he opened the door. If you're a D&D player, you know why you opened the door. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he didn't see anything. The old man was sitting there, just mouth open, and this this giant toad tongue out of the mouth laying on the body all the way to the floor and he's creeped out closes the door quietly right yeah and then goes (laughs) lays back down goes back to sleep i don't want to think about that anymore um and when they wake up in the morning right his face is all wet with swamp water. He doesn't know why. Cut every night after that session. He wakes up with swamp water on his face. He has no <laughs> idea why. And every time he wakes up, he's missing one less spell slot than he went to than he went to bed with. Slowly losing it. Yeah. And the premise of the story, premise of it, because it was this is like a long story short. They basically, um, it was this. This um, swamp hag who was draining his spell slots from him, and every night would just stand above his body while he slept, draining the spell the, the spells from him. Yeah. And just the waking up with the swamp water on the face, um, I would describe while he's sleeping that he would just hear the sounds of dripping water around him. Just <laughs> little things like that. Yeah. God. <laughs> No thanks. <laughs> I wake up and I've drooled on myself and I'm already like, ah, oh, this is a bad night. <laughs> Waking up with swamp water. Ugh. Um, so, in terms of like setting up red herrings in your horror and suspense campaigns and sessions, are you more for it or against it? Uh neither I, I think it depends on if it serves the story or not right like i know it's kind of a cop-out answer but like if the bait and switch is going to have a higher impact than just the sense of dread and like, confronting it you should do it but if you don't think you can land the red herring in a meaningful way don't do it um what do you think though like are you pro like, or against so I am typically pro red herring. I, I I'm, I'm a big fan of 
of using it, especially when there are multiple that make sense and nobody knows who to trust, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I love playing into the roleplay-centric side of, you know, gathering information from everybody, trying to figure out who's doing this, who's doing that. You never know who you can trust. Everyone's hiding something, so any investigation checks to determine whether or not they're hiding something determines that they are hiding something. At least. Yeah. Um, and you know, it turns it, it turns it into a very very suspenseful. Every every conversation, every bit of dialogue is weighed and measured. Have you ever done um, the the one where you have like four NPCs for them to interact with, and like the players are trying to figure out who is the bad one? And, you know, each one of the NPCs has something negative to say about the other one, but then they're all in it together. I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Yeah, it's just like, because then, like, the players, like, they think they figure out who the one person is, so they get the other NPCs to go help them. Like, let's go take them down. We figured out who it is. And then the other four just, like, welcome to the ritual, like, start stabbing. It's <laughs> on the uh, one where, um, where on the, uh, like, on, like, a horror type one shot where I gathered up six party members. I had them each roll a D6, right? Mm -hmm. And then, no matter what they told me, I said, alright, you're not the doppelganger. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, yeah. and then I put all of them in a mansion with a, with a ghost, and the ghost would make, you think, would make you things go wrong, but it was more like a poltergeist ghost where you couldn't see it. Yeah. Um, and so one of one of them they thought was the doppelganger because of that, because yeah. of the inbred meta knowledge there, um, and it turned it into this whole questioning all the player characters because one of the things that that kind of sucks in terms of like tabletop role playing games versus you know movies and fiction and those kind of things is that typically you can trust your party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's so funny you made the comparison to like movies and TV because like I don't know about you but like I roll all my dice out in the open so there's times that I wish that I could just you know lie and, but like since they can see my rolls like that's the story the dice tell you know like it takes a little bit of agency out of my hands but yeah. I think that sometimes like the dice take it in more interesting ways than if I did you know hide and or fudge yeah, yeah, I agree that that you know, displaying your die rolls does have its merits. I'm more of the behind the screen kind of person, and that's that's not so much about fudging rolls because I don't I don't think I've ever really fudged a roll. It's more about the you don't know if you succeeded or failed in a particular situation. For yeah. example, you know, an investigation check into this. Oh, yeah, like bluff and uh, versus like sense motive and pathfinder. Like I'll make them roll that privately to me. Yeah. And then, like, if they're really like, did I really, like, I'll send them a screen cap after the session, like, after it's too late, you know? But, like, no, like, those kind of rules I'll, like, you know, basically hide. But... Yeah. Um, so, in terms of, like, in terms of, like, uh, combat encounters, like, once you're in an encounter and you're rolling for initiative and you're doing those kinds of things, how do you keep the suspense and 
horror and dread intact without it feeling like a break in between the suspenseful moments? Um, like I said, I'm a bit more of a planner, so I will set up the combat encounters ahead of time and then hide them and then just roll all the initiatives for them and just be like, you see this, you, it's your turn. Like, you know, like you're the first one to react to this. What do you do? Instead of like, okay, give me your initiatives because that causes the break. But if I go ahead and roll it ahead of time, then I just point to like the person, or not point, but you know, say the name of like, you're the first one to see this. What do you do? Like that becomes our initiative order, but it's not, it doesn't have that pause, you know? Yeah, I agree. That's honestly really good. Really good. I never thought about using that one, just having that done ahead of time. Yeah, like, I mean, so, it's, yeah, just planning it a little bit ahead or even just fucking making it up. Like, honestly, it's worth it to keep that integrity of the moment together versus, yeah. like, these are the strict mechanics. Like, you know, the first player to gasp after you say a thing, all right, you go first. You were the first one to react. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, like, one of the things that, that I, I used for that was um, I like to use the, uh, the auto-roll initiative feature on D&D Beyond, because that's how I use my combat trackers. Yeah. So as long as everyone's initiative is programmed in there correctly, I can roll everyone's initiative for them behind the scene using their initiative modifier. Yeah. So I've used that one before in terms of, like, keeping the moment going. Um, so, but I agreed, like, having it done ahead of time could definitely help with keeping the, the in-the-moment going. Yeah. Because, like, suspense and horror, like, kind of they're harder to maintain because you have to like keep that same sense going like the second you let go like you usually have to build back into it you know like we were saying earlier just to go back like you have to build that sense of sense and dread like just expecting somebody to be right in it right at the moment is like it's a little bit forced i guess yeah yeah i agree um so last question before we head into the questions from from the audience um how do you handle description in combat when it comes to keeping the suspense so like describing actions and movements and and things like that how do you translate that from you know like it's typical to learn how to like describe heroic or adventure like actions and movements but how do you change your your verbiage to describe it in more of a horror slash suspense sense for the NPCs or the players? Uh, well, I usually... Typically, I'm, like, the kind of... Uh, that's the PCs describe their own movements. Yeah, okay. I'm more for, like, the NPCs. Oh, just, like, uh, when a zombie lands a bite attack, like, uh, you feel it bite into your forearm, you, the teeth break the skin, and you feel the blood start to flow, and it starts to itch, and then, like, you know... Just, okay. like, uh, scratches, like, you feel the skin tearing along the side as it separates and you feel the warmth of your blood on the outside. Uh, what else? Those are, like, the two biggest ones, I guess. And then, like, uh, any sort of, like, possessions, it's just, like, your whole body goes numb. And you feel your yeah. senses shutting down. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree into that, that, that sensory deprivation one or sensory overload one where it's, like... Um, when, when, whenever I'm describing a suspense moment, I like to hone in on one sense, yeah, and just like overload that one. So, for example, um, you know, the sense of smell. So, like, you, you feel the zombie, you feel the zombie lurch at you, and even though it's tearing through your through your body, 
all you can smell is the putrid stench of its rotting flesh as it completely envelops you. so focusing in on one sense, i feel that's a really good idea. yeah, that is a really good idea. yeah um so let's get into some of the questions from the audience so the first one we've got is uh from m one of my players from flavored enemy uh when you know your players fears how do you feel about using them to help bring in the suspense uh that's you really gotta check with them first like absolutely get their consent to do that do not just uh Oh yeah, I'm gonna do this because I know they're afraid of spiders. Like, no, <laughs> like, check with your players yeah. beforehand. Like, hey, is this okay? Like, I want to do this, but if you're not cool with it, like, I won't. So. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a dangerous line to walk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even even with that consent thing set up ahead of time, you got to make sure that you don't overload it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It. Like you you have to like. Like, you don't want to break it, but, like, usually you can tell, like, if they kind of shut down and they're not talking, like, ease off. Go somewhere else with it. Like, pick on somebody else for a bit. Like, don't just keep, you know, yeah, for lack of a better word, bullying them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so, next question, um, also from M. How do you feel about adding in elements such as music? I think that music uh, can help. But I know that there are certain sounds, like there's certain sound waves, like the low end of a tiger's roar and sometimes pipes vibrating. Horror movies will actually use those in the background because it like is a like almost evolutionary trait of like we hear those noises are the back the hairs on the back of our neck stand up and like we're yeah. instantly more tense because, you know, we're afraid of lions. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan of the the ambiance stuff as well. You know, like I I love using those kinds of stuff. Um, one of the things that I've that, I, that I've taken uh, a liking to even more so um, is heavily reverberated, high pitch nursery rhymes. Oh yeah, that'll do it. Ring around the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, every time. Every time. Every time. Especially when you know, like I worked it in one time with with one of my stories where. Uh, I'd, I'd planned this horror slash suspense episode a while in advance, so I worked into the backstory of one of the one of the players um, that their character had this sweet nursery rhyme that his mom for him <laughs> and wrote it down. I gave him like an audio file with like actually sung so that he kind of like knew what it sounded like, yeah. right? And then when it came time to actually play, I re-recorded the same thing slowed it way down through Chopped a reverberation yeah, on yeah. that and then played it with an echo coming from down a, down a deep dark staircase where you couldn't see the end of it that's diabolical and I love it and this was and this was 10 years after his mom had died the end oh game. god <laughs> there's uh they ran into like a cabin in the woods type situation with some uh incestuous ogres one time and I really wish that I could have found some just creepy ass banjo music like <laughs> I didn't, but I wanted it. Just like, ding, 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 ding. It's like, yeah. I just want to confirm you that you, in fact, did say a band of incestuous ogres. Yes. Okay. Yeah, just, just, just making sure. Yeah, no. Hey, you, yeah, that's, that's horror right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it's, uh, or it's the Alabama Crimson Tide. 
Nah. <laughs> roll tide, roll tide, um, brother. <laughs> so, uh, next question from uh, Trover, one of my other players. Uh, does background description help set up a suspenseful and or jump scare moment? Uh, it definitely can. Like, if you do, like, sort of just droning on about the descriptions of the room, and then you just get quieter and quieter, and then, blah, you know, just, like, actually, like, pronunciate, like, it, you know, because people start to fall into, like, the lull of somebody slowly talking, like, and then you just, like, hit them with the, here's the thing, and it pops out at you, like, it can work, but, uh... I don't know that I've ever successfully done it. Most of my jump scares are a little more slower paced, I guess, almost. So they're, yeah. they're not quite jump scares, but they still, like, kind of come out of nowhere, rather. Yeah. I don't know yeah, I've for this. I've, I've definitely had a hard time using background description in the full sense of the word to get that jump scare because they're already anticipating something yeah. with that. So one of the things that I do is I get the background description going constantly keep it going for every single thing yeah. so it just keeps them ready for something and nothing keeps happening and then during a lull where they're just either looking around or waiting or trying to figure out what to do next then you hit them yeah. um, so next question what is uh, from one of my other players as well um, what's the best player death you cause and to kind of link, link this into um, horror and suspense, like like how did you how did you get that that point across that that dread of this this this, this character's dead? Oh, I think it wasn't a horror. Well, it kind of was a horror moment because they were in a mausoleum, but one of the players got hit by in Pathfinder. It's called a butchering axe, which is like a super big orc axe. And it crit him for his entire hit points, like, and so I just described him running up in this axe, hitting his side, and everything slowing down, and him feeling his ribs crush, and then it slowly going, and then he quit feeling anything as it went through his spine, and then went out the other side, and like he just fell apart in front of the party, and I was like, "You are permanently dead." Like, just you know, like there is no sign of life. There's nothing left. Like no gasp didn't give him dying words just you're dead yeah i think that's that utter finality of it you know like no yeah. no sweet tender moment at the end or nothing like that just, just bam you're dead yeah. um it can definitely have that huge impact especially on hey this isn't this we're not playing around no more kids loves are up <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so uh last question uh from my other player uh tig Thoracus, uh, feelings on tabletop role-playing games that are designed from the jump for horror. So the first one that comes to mind for me is um, the Cult of Cthulhu game. If you've ever played that one. I haven't played it, but everything that I've heard from it is either it's 100% a meme or 100% like psychological trauma. There's no in-between with it. And I think that uh, horror games built from the ground up to be horror games are going to be inherently better just because like usually when you approach your players like hey i want to play this like they're already going to be onboarded for this is the experience whereas like in you know D and pathfinder and other ones like you're trying to take them from these heroic moment to you're in it now like and that's a lot harder of a like tone shift it'd be like watching uh 
like, I don't know, like, just like, uh, you know, like almost sitcom level, like, or just like a, a prank show. And then suddenly there's just like a super dark zoom in and like, you know, here's a kid with cancer. Like, it's it's just like, I, I didn't feel anything because I didn't have any, like, you know, setup for this. Yeah. Yeah, you like you you weren't you weren't there like you couldn't you, you couldn't you weren't already in the in the mindset to be affected by that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, that's why that that's why I feel like that that transition to the suspense and horror type vibe is is it's crucial. E. Yeah. Um. So um, I think that rinse to the end of the suspense and horror stuff. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of a breakdown about? Uh, about frag and kind of what you all do there uh oh. so that way we can check you out absolutely uh so frag uh known as full round action gaming uh you can find us on twitch under full round action gaming uh we're primarily pathfinder first edition thursdays we play through all of the adventure paths for uh that paizo published so it's pre-written stuff but uh we do our own takes on it we change it up and then Wednesday is run by me. It is uh, completely homebrewed. And uh, that's called The Last Hopers, which is, like I said, the kind of suicide-esque, or Suicide Squad-esque uh, powerful wizard. And, you know, brings you into service and says, go do good things, even though you're a bad person. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you can go check out uh, Flavored Enemy on Spotify and wherever else you got your podcasts. We have um, currently we finished finished or and or finishing wrapping Flavored Enemy: The King's Call, which is our first campaign. Uh, Flavored Enemy: Tales of Vittore has just released its first episode, and their second episode is getting ready to come out here soon. And then we also have uh, Flavored Enemy Scourge of Stars, which is a Star Wars fantasy flight game series, which will be coming out in July. And then, like you're listening to right now, Flavored Enemy Behind the Screens, which talks about like DMing tips and stuff like that. So you can check us out anywhere you got uh, podcasts, or you can join us on Discord for the live stuff. Uh, well, thanks for coming, Cam. And um, thank uh, you for having me. It was a blast. Look forward to look forward to uh, <laughs> hearing more about. Um, incestuous orc bands no not orcs ogres oh incestuous ogre bands yeah it's crucial difference